Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to 10 Minutes of Modern here on Anchor. Every single day I chat with you guys, the people, the listeners of the Masters of Modern podcast about additional Masters of Modern content. I'm your host, Ben Bateman, and I have a very special guest for you today doing a segment talking about uh, getting into the modern format at a high level for the very first time. Say hello to Mr. Alex Sheffield. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm very well. This is fun that we get to we get to this is actually the first conversation we're having about this guys. Alex is a friend of mine. We play that awesome format you guys have heard us talk about so much on the Masters of Modern show called Highlander Roulette together and I know you to be a very good player, uh usually beating me with like dark deaths and other unfair things of that nature, but we've never gotten to talk modern before. So this is definitely a first. Yeah, that's right. So talk to me a little bit about you won a PPTQ. Where was that? Yeah, so I played in a uh, PPTQ. It was sealed and then a uh, top eight draft in Baldwin Park. And uh, I'm I'm only a, a limited player, and I have been only a limited player since I started playing Magic. Uh, I started playing in the Kamigawa block and have just drafted and done seals and have never gotten into any constructed formats since then. Except for how to roulette. Yes, uh, yeah, that is that is the one exception, and that's just uh, casual with with friends, never competitive. Yeah, yeah. Though I would I would argue the play the players some some of the players we play with are pretty solid. We definitely have a few pro players in there, uh, former pros, and then also I think the deck construction is pretty deliberate. Like I definitely think that some of those games turn into pretty high level gameplay. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are yeah definitely a lot of strong players in that group. Keeps it interesting. So, would you call it what kind of uh, like what kind of player would you call yourself? Are you an aggro player, control player? Um, that's a good question. I I, I don't know that I I have a, a go to style. I think uh, especially in limited, I'm I'm pretty pretty flexible to uh, wherever the the pool takes me or the draft seat takes me. I am pretty willing to draft a bunch of different strategies. And then when you're building decks, like let's just say in Highlander, and I'm assuming there's a, a comfortability we want to try to translate here to modern as you pick your deck. Uh, what do you like to grab? Gotcha. Do you do you feel, are you um, someone who likes tempo? I'd say probably combo. Combo. Okay, you like playing all in, set up that big turn, and then go for it. Yeah, I, I would say so. So uh, at least in uh, in Highlander, I like the uh, yeah the combo decks. So from the point of view of, of of the capable player getting into a competitive format, what's the first question you have, or what questions do you have? I mean, I'm sort of trying to put people, I think, in your shoes that are entering the format for the first time and hearing this. Um, yeah, we haven't really got to talk yet at all. You know, you just texted me about this. What's the what's the first question you've got? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I didn't even know that the RPTQ was only modern. <laughs> I, I, had, I had just assumed that I would be able to show up to another field tournament and uh, try to qualify that way. But actually, in the finals of the PPTQ, I discovered that the RPTQ was only modern. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that, that took me for a, a, bit of a, a bit of a twist. But yeah, so I... I guess the I didn't know nothing about modern. So the first thing I did after I won the PPTQ was looked up the band list. I didn't even know what cards were legal. What was so, the most disappointing ban you found? <laughs> um, nothing, nothing too surprising. Uh, I like the the one mana blue spells, and I know a couple of those are banned. Um, 
the artifact lands I yep. thought thought would make affinity a lot weaker, but I, I've been starting to do some research and it seems like affinity is kind of in a healthy spot right now. Really good. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just at this point trying to get a feel for the meta and, and what is sort of the deck to beat and how people are, are building decks to try to match up against the top decks and uh, trying to trying to figure out where to go from there. So right at the top, you've got Grixis, Death Shadow, and Affinity. Those are, those are the two most prominent decks. Now, a couple things I'd recommend is there's a, there's a Facebook group uh, that was created recently uh, by, I think by fans, or maybe we did it, I can't remember, but it's pretty much run by fans of the Masters of Modern, and it's got over 1,000 people in it now. And that's got healthy conversation every single day about brews, decks, metagame data. One of our guys, Hagen Kirk, always posts the weekly top tables breakdown. It's like a, an aggregate thing that he puts together of literally all of like the top eight tables countrywide. Uh, I think maybe actually worldwide. Uh, so there's usually oh, a man. lot of information there you can get every week. And right now, yeah, this that'd last be super week, helpful. Sitting at the top is Grixis, Death Shadow, and Affinity. So I'm assuming you probably don't know a whole lot about Grixis Shadow. Uh, no, not at all. So basically, what happened with Shadow was it was started as Jund Shadow, and what happened was after the banning of Gataxian Probe people started taking their Death Shadow decks, which had pre- previously like been all index that were going team or battle ridge and the game, and they started making them these like super low to the ground. Uh, at the time, it was Tarmogoyf and Death Shadow and a few things. Now, with the Grixis version, it's like four Death Shadow, some number of Tassiger, Gurmag Anglers, and Snapcaster Mages with four Thoughtseize, some number of Inquisition of Kozilek, a lot of lists still play just four and four, you know, all the sh- shocks and fetches, and the idea being, you just strip your opponent's hand so completely that when you resolve a 3-3 Death Shadow or a 6-6 or a 9-9, your life total doesn't matter because you're not worried about them burning you out. And you have, like, this 8-8 creature, the most efficient removal, Snapcaster Mages, you know, and your Street Wraith. Like, you're cycling through your deck so fast and setting up this velocity so that, you know, it plays a lot like a, like a teamer Delver plays in Legacy. You know, it's super disruptive, super efficient. Almost nothing costs more than one or two mana. That's Grixis Shadow. And this sounds like your kind of deck. It's awesome. I think it's the coolest, but <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't been playing it. Uh, that deck, that Highlander deck I played against you with a couple months ago was, like, very inspired mm-hmm. by the Shadow decks. Yeah, yeah. That's what uh, I'm thinking of. Yeah, and then and then Affinity is what you'd expect it to be. Affinity is the other best deck. And the reason Affinity is good is because Affinity can go fast enough and wide enough to overwhelm a Shadow deck. So, mm-hmm. you know, there have been a lot of arguments and people discussing. Shadow is kind of like what every format devolves into is what, like, a lot of opinions are, which is, like, eventually people figure out what's the most efficient way to resolve a big threat, disrupt your opponent, and, like, stop people from doing anything, you know, well put together against you, and you just have the best threats. Where right. Affinity can just be shot out of a cannon and is so resilient in the in the sense that it can kill you with, you know, plating on an Ink Moth Nexus or going wide with, like, Steel Overseers and things like that. Um, that deck's just... Affinity's just really good. Plus, it's one of the few decks that has fast mana because you can Mox Opal and you can get ahead on a turn. Mm-hmm. Right. How hard is it to get a good hand, a good opener with Affinity? Not hard at all. Affinity is the most... Historically, Affinity is the most consistent winning high-level deck 
we have in modern, except for Birthing Pod, which only lasted for about two years and only had one really dominant, like, 18-month run. Um, mm-hmm. Twin is also illegal now. Those are, like, the other two mm-hmm. majors. But Affinity's been around since day one, and it's the most consistent winning deck. I think it's the only deck to win. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's, like, maybe the only deck to win four Grand Prix or something like that. Wow. And so they, they banned the artifact lands. Did they target Affinity with anything else? Uh, not really, because uh, Chrome Mox wouldn't even be good because most of the things in the deck are colorless. So the, ban- the artifact mm. lands have been banned since the inception of the format. Um, but you can play Darksteel Citadel. That's legal. And, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's just people have played different flavors of Affinity. You'll find four or five different versions that float around. But for the most part, they're pretty consistent. You'll find a, a pretty solid core of the same card. Those are definitely the two decks that you want to keep on the radar. After that, there's always a deck du jour, and there's a few other things that run around. One really important one to remember is Eldrazi Tron. This is a more recent Yeah, I've, I've been hearing a lot about that. deck's really cool. It took the best pieces of the Eldrazi deck that got banned when we lost to Iavugan, and it took best pieces of the Tron decks, and it just combined them. So, And you'd think... When you first hear that, that like, well, what if you draw your, what if you draw the wrong half of the deck, right? Because like, you know, Eldrazi sure. Temple can only cast your Eldrazi creatures. It can't cast Karn, can't cast Worm Coil. But right. you just sort of go for it in the correct way because of your expedition maps being there. And the deck is just really, really, really consistent. It's very powerful. There's that one and there's a Bant Eldrazi deck both. They really, I so personally is, think, go ahead. Would you call those tier two? Uh, Eldrazi Tron is pretty tier one. I, I mean, I, I think the first decks I mentioned, just because of right now, this moment, they feel like they're the top two. But if you're looking at the eight most prominent decks, you know, maybe maybe that deck's possibly tier 1.5. Bant Eldrazi is probably tier two. But, but Eldrazi Tron feels like it's more like a tier one, tier 1.5 deck. Gotcha. Um, Titan Shift is another deck people are playing. That's like basically a scape shift through the breach, primeval titan ramp deck hybrid. Um, it's kind of exactly what it okay. sounds like. And it, scape shift is still legal. Yep, yep. Scape shift valkets, that whole thing. Um, yep. Scape shift, straight scape shift decks are not as popular as they used to be, but titan shift is definitely a thing. You got to keep that on your radar. Storm is making a big. I mean, Storm's always been on the fringes, but they've tried to kill it a few times. They've banned cards over the years, so. Early mm-hmm. on, Rite of Flame was banned. They banned Seeding Song. They banned Gataxian Probe. All the one-mana yeah. games you talked about are banned. Yeah. Um, but the printing of a few years ago, Goblin Electromancer, and then now Baral, means mm-hmm. that the decks end up turboing you out with these two-mana accelerants, playing Gifts Ungiven. So Gift Storm is the deck now. And yeah. the nature of the two-mana accelerants means that you can, you can set yourself up to, to cast a gift and then win the next turn. And that's that's usually what happens. Gotcha. Um, so that's a big deal. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'm even learning about, like, new interactions I haven't thought of before, just uh, doing a little bit of research. Like, on that Storm deck, uh, remanding your own Grape Shot to, yeah, yeah. to kill away sooner and not have to get to 20 spells. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's a... That, those, I mean, those are four of the major ones. There's... There's honestly, that's the coolest thing about Modern, and it's also the most frustrating thing about Modern, is like, if you really want to be able to go into it and have a good shot to just like spike a tournament, it's almost just like play Affinity. 
Play Affinity or, you know, hmm. there's cool variations on burn decks people are coming up with now. Burn's hard because Collective Brutality is pretty prominent. It's a very good card against mm-hmm. Burn. Um, mm, yeah. But I would say, in general, if you, like, don't feel like you have the time, Affinity's a great fallback. Because Affinity, if you can figure out how to play it, it's just very, very, very powerful. And it's extremely linear. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also creature decks. There's 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 the Devoted Druid... Vizier of Remedies, infinite uh, infinite mana deck. That, that's another one I was wondering about. Yeah, it's a very cool deck. So that's like an infinite infinite mana deck that plays really well with collected companies and court of callings. That's a lot of fun. That's kind of like the old birthday yeah. decks have become that. Yeah. Um, so what, what I was hearing about that is that I mean, like Fatal Push is just so present that it makes it hard for that deck to survive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's good. Um, Fatal Push is definitely really good. It's nice because that deck doesn't rely on the graveyard to win. A lot of the really good decks, if you if somebody gets a ley line of the void against you, you have to be very prepared to, to deal with that and how to get around it. Because like, Dredge is another deck that's super glass cannony and can just completely house people. But again, what's that like, one? You need to Dredge. Oh, uh, Dredge. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought you said Dredge. dredge. Deck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Scred is a deck, but it's way further down the list. Um, yeah, I mean, Jeskai Control, Blue White Control. You know, I, like I said, I would I would go check that out on the I would go check that out on the uh, Facebook page. You'll you'll find that information and you'll see a lot of good stuff floating around there. You know, MTG Gold yeah, right usually has a breakdown. Yeah, I'm excited to check out the meta breakdown. That that'll be interesting. Yeah, I have I have certain favorite decks of mine. The Bant Nightfall deck is really interesting. That's one that's been popping up a little more recently. I talked to Pat Shaven about that last week a little, and does he think it's Tier 1? That's a Night of the Reliquary Retreat to Coral Helm deck that's basically playing all of, like, just, like, sweet two- and three-mana creatures with Collected Companies, and, and it has that backup combo of the, the Night Retreat where you can just win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a cool one to look at. But uh Yeah, so the uh the RPTQ is in the middle of November. So I, I'm feeling like I have enough time to try to really get a hang of the format and just competitive constructed in general. And I'm I'm excited to just start testing a lot of these decks against each other and, and trying to understand how how to play around stuff. Yeah, maybe if you wanna if you wanna hop on the podcast with us soon, that could be an interesting to have a little bit longer of a conversation. Uh, maybe maybe after you've done a little bit of research and uh, this will be it'll be fun to check back back in with you as you're doing this as you're learning and, and playing and really kind of absorbing all the information. It could be a a cool uh, test subject for uh, anyone yeah. listening to the show who would like to <laughs> be in your position. So yeah, that'd um, be great. Cool, man. All right. Well, I'm glad we got to chat today, and that's conversation one of really many. And I'll post this, and hopefully people get a kick out of it. And uh, wait, let's 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 chat again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for the call. Of course, guys. Take care. What's up, guys? 10 Minutes of Modern returns here with you, chatting a little bit about some ideas I have tonight about the modern format. I just mentioned that I had a long conversation with Alex Scheftel, a friend of mine who's going to be attending an RPTQ playing Modern coming up. And one of his questions in that interview, which you can find, the full interview you can find in Collected.Company posting tomorrow, uh, Saturday. But one of the questions he asked is at the highest level, when you're playing Modern in a competitive format like an RPTQ, is it smart to try and brew a deck? Well, I answered the question on the show, and I've thought about it a little bit since talking to him. See, if you play at a Grand Prix or you play at your local shop, what you're bound to find is a mix of top decks, medium decks, and, you know, brewy fringe decks. 
uh, because that's kind of how Modern breaks down. It's a very wide format. You know, you have somebody playing Boggles one day. You'll find somebody playing the Mildex, Gred Red, something like Elves. You know, the, the guy playing Grixis Shadow, the Lantern Control player. I mean, there's there's 30 or 40 decks you will very likely run into, and different variations on the same decks. The problem is. When you get to an RPTQ, it's not really dealing with the same crop of players. Even somebody, somebody playing at a PPTQ, because you can just show up, it's an open tournament, it's probably local for you, you'll probably find some people trying out brews. The RPTQ is going to be much more strategic by most people, because to get there, you have to have already won something pretty competitive. So I think most people are pretty scared to try out something inventive and flashy at an RPTQ, which means, ultimately, rather than looking at the top 40 decks, you really should be looking at the top 16. Now, if there's a particular deck that falls in that top 40 that you think is really well positioned in the current meta, if all of a sudden you look and you just say, look, Boggles is a deck that I think I can go the distance with, I don't think people are going to play Boggles right now, you know, or Lantern Control or something, then that's a thought. You can, you can really consider going all out with something that people don't expect. But when it really comes to just making something up, or playing like a straight up bad deck, like the mill deck, which again could be in that category of fringe, but like a deck that's never done anything significant at the high level, or that you've made up completely, I think you're going to find most people you're playing against won't be playing those decks. So really, it's, it's kind of twofold. It's like you should be afraid to play something untested and weird at an RPTQ because the stakes are higher. On the other hand... It's the same as a pro tour in the sense that if you do know the field for the most part is going to be a little narrower, people are going to be a little more conservative with their deck choices, then the field you're preparing against is a little more narrow. And if you're going to try to build that turbo prison deck or that... Even like Gorio's Vengeance is a card that is on people's radars a little bit. Look at the cards that are the most unfair. Look at the cards that have the potential to do the most broken things. And if you want to try to brew a deck that's going to you know, chalice the void, take complete advantage of what people are doing at the highest level, and you want to build around that, and you want to try to spike that. That's the list you start with. And it's quite possible that playing at a regional Pro Tour qualifier, that that's your best bet, is to, if you think you're a good enough deck builder, to try to spike it with a, some set of those cards we just talked about. Um, I think in some ways, it's almost the smartest event to do that at. Um, so that was just sort of my thought that I wanted to share with you guys is that I actually think if you have the balls to do it, spiking an RPTQ with a brew is probably smarter than trying to spike a local Thursday tournament or even a PPTQ or a Grand Prix. I think the field will be so much narrower at an RPTQ because people's fingers will be tighter about what they can and can't play that I think you can get away with it. Now, would I spike, would I try to spike an RPTQ with a deck like that personally? Maybe. I also might just try to play something I wanted to play, which means I probably would I would probably lose. It also probably means I wouldn't have made it there in the first place, because that's just kind of the player I am. But certainly something interesting to think about and something I wanted to share on the show here with you guys tonight. So thanks for listening, guys. Have a great Friday night. Uh, get excited for any PPTQs you have this weekend. Get excited for that RPTQ in November, if, if anybody has qualified for that one. And, of course, call them with your thoughts. Do you think I'm dead wrong? Is there a deck in particular you think could spike an RPTQ right now? Is there a card in particular that I didn't mention or of, of the ones that I did mention do you think is just total gangbusters nuts, the absolute thing that should be played? 
let me know, guys. Call in, hold down that button, slide it into the lock position, make sure I get your call in, and let me know your thoughts. Let's keep chatting modern. Let's keep chatting sideboard strategies and how to win and how to win with your own ideas. Uh, thanks for listening. Please favorite the station if you like what you're hearing. And of course, guys, download the app, anchor.fm, find the station, 10 Minutes of Modern, and listen to it through there. It does help me stay doing this, continue doing this, uh, and, and giving you guys you know, updates on uh, what's going on in the modern format. So have a good one, guys.